to that person. And that is what it is when we build genuine church and we say that we are a family. We come together. Each part does their bit so that the body can grow. The church can grow into what God has it to be. So it's lovely to have all of you back. It's lovely to have lots of the students back who have come back from holiday. Who's here as a student today, back from holiday? Couple of you, yes, wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful after your six-month holiday, six-month sabbatical. It's lovely, to <laughs> it's lovely to have you back. You can put up the title slide for me, Sean. So we, <clears throat> it's quickly gonna let you know. So uh, actually at the end of last year, I felt uh, there's, I think there was some stage last year that I read through the book of Nehemiah. Now, it's a book in the Old Testament. It's a wonderful book. I actually want to encourage you as we go through the next couple of weeks that you'd go stand still, that you would read the book. But I read through the book of Nehemiah last year just randomly. I don't know why I read it. I just stumbled upon the book in a sense. I really think it might have been God that led me there. And as I read it, there were a couple of things that just stood out for me. <clears throat> that I believe God wanted to say to us as a church, as 4 p.m. here in Stellenbosch specifically. So for the next couple of weeks, we're gonna dig into the book of Nehemiah, and today is gonna be a little bit different because what I'd love to do is just give you a bit of context for the book. Otherwise, I start preaching about something and you've got no clue what I'm speaking about because this isn't like the book of Romans that most Christians read early on in their walk with God, or, or like one of the Gospels that you read early on. Some of you might have never read the book of Nehemiah. And so it's important to just stand still before we get into what I believe God wants to say to us, because I do believe there will be a moment tonight that God is gonna draw a line in the sand like we trust there's every Sunday, and God is gonna say, this is what I'm calling you to uh, in order to come closer to me. I believe there's gonna be something like that. But before we get there, I think there's a bit of history that we need to get into for the book of Nehemiah so that we actually understand the context for the next five or so weeks, unless the Holy Spirit leads differently, uh, that we're going to get into. <clears throat> so wanna, let me just get my water. One of the first things that you do need to understand with, before you get, let me say this, before you get into the book of Nehemiah, excuse the generator. Now some of you are hearing it for the first time. Eh? It's like white noise. <laughs> But excuse it, I'm a bit ADHD, so I'm going to try my best, so you must try your best as well. <laughs> so before you get into the book of Nehemiah, what you actually have to understand is you have to understand where the book finds itself. So any book in the Bible, before you read it, in order to actually get to the meaning of the book, what the Bible is trying to tell you there, what God is trying to teach you out of that book, you need to understand the context of the book. Otherwise, what you do is we call it the lucky dip. You just open up the Bible, you go... God, please speak to me, and toof. And then I joke and say, and Judas hung himself. And then you're like, oh my, what? <laughs> and then you go, oh no, God, something else, and go do likewise, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not the way we read the Bible. It's not the way we do it. It's actually what we do is we want to know why did God place it in the Bible? Where did he place it in the Bible? What is he trying to say through that book before I get to the place of him speaking to me? Otherwise, we read the Bible in an egocentric way. We think everything was written only for you. And I would say it was written for you, but first to other people. So you first need to understand what it's there for, for them, before you understand it for you. So before we get into the book of Nehemiah, the greater context of the Old Testament that's going to make a lot of sense when we get into this book is that a lot of it plays off in the city or the, the region of Israel, Jerusalem. Now, if you've been following the news in any way, you would know that Jerusalem has been in the news a lot lately. 
And I want to say, I want to start off with this and say, say, I'm not here to preach anything contentious. I, I, I know that it's a sensitive topic the moment you speak about Jerusalem, then there's arguments about Palestine versus Jerusalem and, and all of these things. And I don't have time to get into the nitty gritties of what I think the Bible says to us. What I do want to say is I think what's happening in Jerusalem at the moment, the war between them and Palestine, I think it is a supernatural thing actually happening. I don't think it's just a natural war. I don't think it's just an, an argument between nations. I think there's something happening in the spiritual realm with this war that we don't always understand. And the more I read the Bible, the more I'm convinced that there's something special about the Holy Land, about Jerusalem, the promised land as we read in the Bible. And that is where and why this war is actually taking place. And so where we start off in the Bible is God, you know, now as New Covenant believers, we believe that God is with us. He's, he's everywhere. He can be in any believer when we invite him into our lives. But in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, God started, when he started this work, working towards salvation for all, he started with a small group of people. And a lot of the Old Testament is centered around a group of people, the Israelites, the Jews, the, the holy people of God. And it's not only centered around a people, it's also centered around a place. God chose for himself a geographic location that he says, this is where I'm going to build my people. And from there, it's going to spread out to all the world. He picked a very specific, specific a very special place called Jerusalem. And I'm going to quickly read to you just some of these prophecies. Now, you must follow because this is going to make Nehemiah make more sense once you get this. Once you understand how special this place is to God and was to God and is to the people of God and was to the people of God. So Genesis 17 verse 8. This is a promise made to Abraham. Now, Abraham is the father of our faith. This was the first time that God said, not only will I do something special in your life, but I'm going to give you a place that I'm going to build my temple, my kingdom is going to be built from there. Genesis 17 verse 8, it says, And I will give to Abraham and to Abraham's offspring after him the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan, listen to this, for an everlasting possession. This is the promise of God. He's saying to the people of Abraham, the Jews, I'm going to give a piece of land for an everlasting possession. Now, if you read the news, you will see that this is a, it's, it's a holy war in a sense. People say it's our land. And what the Jews are saying is, no, 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 we'll take you back. This scripture is four, 5,000 years old, and it's written here. This is, we, we've got historic evidence that this was something that God promised to us way back, before it was taken back and we had to fight back and it gets complicated. But this was the promise of God that he would give this to the Jewish people. And I will give it to them for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. What God said is, I'm going to give you a place, and I'm going to live in that place with you. It will be a place where my presence dwells. And from the beginning, we see that they had to, they had to live in this place, and they had to build a temple, which is the place that the Jews, I won't say the original Christians, but where Christianity sprung from, where they came to worship at the temple of God. It's different than we do it now. And there's a lot to say about that, but to the temple of God. Now, here's the thing about God. God is much more interested in quality than he is in quantity. I'm going to say that again. Because he is interested in quantity. No, did I say quantity or quality first? Which one did I say? <laughs> did I say it wrong? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was wrong. I repent. I'm sorry. God is much more interested in quality than he is in quantity. 
Throughout the Bible, you will say, see that God and Jesus, who yes, has open arms, yes, he wants everyone to come, but he's saying, when you come, I want you to come in a specific way. He wants to have a peer and he wants to have a holy people. And so that's the thing when we come to church. Yes, we can try and fill the seats. We can try and fill the parking lot to have lots of people. But actually the church that God is looking for is a holy set apart people that have laid down everything for his sake. I'm going to get to that later. And from the beginning, those were the type of people that God actually wanted. So what God does is, as the Jews come to the promised land, it's this land that he's promised them. He says, yes, you will come in your numbers, but I want to make sure that you really love me. Not just for what I give you, but because of me. Not just because you've got the land, but because of me. And so what God does many times, you'll find maybe a few nuggets for yourself as we go through this. In order to make us holy, God does this through people. We like to blame people. He'll send tough times. And these times of suffering will actually bring us to a place of repentance, of seeing like, God, you are not my everything. And so God does that with the the Jews in the beginning. So they've got their land, they move into their land, everything is going well for the people of God, they're growing in number, it looks like they're successful, but God says, because you do not love me the way that I've called you to love me, I am going to scatter you from you as, as a form of purification because I want holy people. I'm going to read you a scripture for that. Jeremiah 24, verse 4 to 7. We call this the exile. God says, I will send you into the world into a people who are not my people. Then the Lord gave me, Jeremiah, this message. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Just mentions a, um, an example there. The good fig represents the exiles I sent from Judah. Judah is Israel, the promised land that we spoke about. To the land, there's a few words that you're going to have to get there. there yeah? To the land of the Babylonians. So he's saying, because I want you to be pure and holy, because you're not loving me the way that you should in the promised land, I'm going to say, footsack out of the holy land. That's basically what God is saying. Our little girls love that Leon Schuster song, um, <laughs> So they run around the house now and then shouting, footsack, footsack. <laughs> the word is fresh in my mind, but God is basically saying that. I'm going to say to you, footsack, because <laughs> I want to do a work in you. And he's sending them into Babylon, which we'll get later, is the picture of the world. I will watch over and care for them, even in the world, even when they scatter, and I will bring them back here again. <clears throat> Promise of God, you will be scattered, my people, but you will come back. Nehemiah is going to come now. Don't, don't lose me here. We're getting to Nehemiah. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them hearts that recognize me as their Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me, and here's the key word, wholeheartedly. God says, yes, you're my people, but I'm going to send you into the world to learn in the world how much you need me and how much you have to come to me wholeheartedly so that I can bring you back and build my kingdom with not only quantity, but with quality. People who are wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. Are you still following me? You can say no if you're not. Okay, you're all still following me, right? So here we get closer to the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is this guy, he's a Jew, and he is in Babylon. He is in the world. He's part of the people, as was people like Daniel, when you read uh, all the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, those guys were all of these people that were in Jerusalem, but they were taken out of Jerusalem 
to Babylon, picture of the world. They were sent there, but all of these people prophesy that one day they will come back. One day God will purify them, bring them back. Those are the names. Daniel, you'll know that name. And some of these key names are three people that God then said, okay, the time has come. I've done a work in my people. Now I want them to go out of Babylon, yeah, Babylon, and back into the world. And he orchestrates this. You can go read it in, in specifically Ezra and Nehemiah. They were actually one book. Well, they, it's actually one book in the, in the original Hebrew Scriptures. It's not Ezra and Nehemiah separately like in our Bibles. It's actually together because it tells one story. There's a guy called Zerubbabel that God calls, and he takes a group of these exiles, a group, a group of God's people, and he says, we are going back to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was destroyed with the exile. There was a war. We're going back to the promised land, back to the place that God called us to. And then he goes again and he calls a second group of people through Ezra and he says, okay, come, more of you, we are going back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem to go rebuild what was broken down. And then we get to Nehemiah where we're going to get to now. And Nehemiah, same thing, he comes to this man, Nehemiah, a man who was working for one of the, one of the, the biggest powers in Babylon at the moment. He was cupbearer to the king, the Bible says to us. Now, if you're a cupbearer to a king in the old days, it's not like you were the one doing the dishes. That's not what it means. It was one of the most trusted positions in the house of the king because you had to take his wine to him and he had to trust you enough that his wine was not poisoned because they got killed left, right, and center, these kings. So it was someone that the king really trusted. He was the cupbearer. The king literally trusted this man with his life. It was a king in the world, right? And God gave favor to Nehemiah and said to him, okay, I'm going to send you back to Jerusalem to go build my house, my city for me. So he's someone that goes out of the world and he goes to rebuild. And specifically, the story is about rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. If you go read it, I'm going to encourage you. I think we'll even post on the groups a link that we can read it together. But it's about the rebuilding of the walls. Now, <clears throat> the big question is, who did this? Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't even see it. <laughs> so nice. The big question is, okay, you, you'll probably say to me, okay, Leonard, I get this. Nehemiah is about going out of Babylon, going into Jerusalem, rebuilding the walls. Now, the question is, when we get to this, when you open up your Bible and you start reading it, how do you actually read this book? And I want to say most people, if you find any book about the book of Nehemiah, I forgot, I've got one by an author that shall not be named, Andy Stanley. And, and it's just a joke, sorry. It's not a funny joke, apparently. Uh, Andy Stanley, I haven't found anything. If you go read, I want to understand the book of Nehemiah. Help me understand. I haven't found one book, I'm just being honest, or one resource that I think interprets it the correct way. And I'm not being egotistic about it. I'll explain it to you now. Because I think they get it right somewhat, but what people do is, cool, every preaching series, if you go type in and you want to see someone that preaches better than me, and you'll find lots of them online, just type in Nehemiah preaching series, all of it does it this way. You put yourself, if you want to grow in God, you want to be something, you put yourself in the, in the shoes of Nehemiah, and you learn from Nehemiah how God wants to use you to call his people to build the walls, to go and build his kingdom. I want to say that that's not incorrect, and it's all books about leadership. How are you a good leader in God's house and all of those things? That's good. I want to say I don't think that's the best way to read the Bible. 
I think the best way to read the Bible is not to be the hero, but to be the one that sucks. <laughs> That's the best way to read the Bible. You are always going to miss it. If you think, I'm reading the Bible, I'm like David, and I'm going to conquer Goliath. And when I read it, I'm like, God, thank you that you've made me a David to conquer my Goliath. Guess what? Your Goliath is going to slap the snot out of you. Can I say that? <laughs> is that bad? <laughs> is it bad, Martha? I don't know. <laughs> It doesn't work like that. But the world, and I'm not even saying the world, I think a thinking of the world that is egotistic, that is self-centered, says if you read the Bible, find the heroes in the Bible, find the good guys, find the, the heroes of the faith, put yourself in their shoes and learn from them and you will be successful in God. I say, I wish I was like them, but I'm not like them. <laughs> I wrote a few down here. If I read the Bible, I am much more like Saul than, I'm, than I am like David. Let's just be honest. I don't know about you. You might be like David. <laughs> I think I can learn personally. Hear me out. I think I can learn more from what Saul didn't, wasn't supposed to do because I fall into those traps than I can learn from David. That's just my take. I learn from David, but I can associate with Saul. We hate to say that. We're like, no, Saul was such a baddie. No, you are a baddie. <laughs> I don't know. I'm... <laughs> Saw um, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, God loved. Esau, God hated because he brought a sacrifice that was not pleasing to God. You know many times, I think my sacrifice is not pleasing to God because I'm not bringing my everything. I think many times I can relate more to Esau than I can to Jacob. I don't know about you. We'd love to be Jacob. When I read the Bible, I think it'll do us better to relate to the complaining Israelites than to Moses who took them through the sea. All of us want to be like Moses. Say, God, use me. Let me lift up my staff and take the people of God into the promised land. But actually, you know what we really like? We like the Israelites that forgets the goodness of God and complains and needs to be reminded of the goodness of God. Amen? Come, I, I'm hoping you guys are getting what I'm saying here. Wrote down a few more. I think I am more like the, 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 the Jews, the people of God who, was, who were at the base of the mountain when the Ten Commands were, Commandments were written, they said, I'm going to make an idol for myself and I'm much less like Moses and, and Joshua who stayed up the mountain in the presence of God. If I let myself, I'm like those people, I drift away from God. I make idols for myself. I put other things in place of God. I'm more like that and I'm saying you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't see that in the Bible. I'm more like the 10 spies who doubted the promise of God than the two spies who said that they believed the promise of God. <laughs> I'm more like the disciples who had little faith than I am like Jesus who did miracles. Am I changing your way of reading the Bible a little bit? I, or all of you on board? <laughs> I'm hoping I'm challenging you because yes, we should learn from those people, but actually we should come to the Bible with humility and say, the things that I see people failing in, that's where I'm going to learn. Anyway, I'm more like the Pharisees than I am like the disciples many times. That's just me. Maybe that's just me. So when we get to, get to the book of Nehemiah and we want to read it and say, God, maybe you're saying something to Staley's 4 p.m. through the book of Nehemiah, the trap that we can fall into, and it's not bad per se, is we can say, I'm going to be like Nehemiah. And I want to say, I don't think that is how you should read the Old Testament primarily. 
I say that the best way, and I'm going to show you this out of Scripture, the best way to read it is to see Nehemiah as a type of Jesus because he is the hero. He is the one that conquers, and I'm only the one that follows after him. I am nothing. You better, you, this needs to get into your heart. We are so self-centered as Christians. It's how we are brought up in Christianity. Everything is about us. No, everything is supposed to be about Jesus. He is the hero. He is like David that conquers Goliath. I'm like the Israelites that walks in the victory of Jesus. The only reason I have victory is because Jesus had victory. Am I making sense here? That is how we're supposed to read the Bible. So when I come to it, I think Nehemiah needs to be read like a prophetic book to say Jesus is like Nehemiah. He is the one that has favor with the Father. The Father says, I'm going to send you into this place and you are going to go build my kingdom, break it open. I'm like the people who follow in, in the stead of Nehemiah and go help rebuild the wall after Jesus is doing it. Okay, that's how I think we should do it. Um, let me give you just a scriptural backing for this because I'm hoping this changes the entire way that you read the Bible. I'm really hoping so. Luke 24, verse 17 to 17. This is after Jesus died and he comes to his disciples, but he disguises himself, right? You say those words, I don't know, this is going to be a bad joke. Those, those words for God, Jehovah, Rapha, Jehovah, Nisi, Jehovah, whatever, this is Jehovah Sneaky, okay? <laughs> it's God. It's God being a bit sneaky, <laughs> right? <laughs> Since that very day, two of the disciples were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went uh, with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Drove a sneaky. And gone. And he said to them, uh, did you copy all the verses or just some of them? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from here. Um, uh, da, 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 da. No, I'm going to read from there because I can't find it. What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to, to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? And then we're going to skip forward. Because what happens here, they're speaking to Jesus. They don't know they're speaking to Jesus. And they're like, how do you not know what happened with Jesus and that he was crucified, that he was handed over? And then I think it's verse 27. Um, and beginning with Moses um, and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to these two men in all the scriptures. Just say that with me, all. All the scriptures. The things concerning himself. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? This must have been the most amazing sermon ever. This is Jesus saying to them, let me take you to the Old Testament and let me show you the entire Old Testament is about me. All of it is about me. Not just the New Testament. All of it is about me. This is called the, the Sermon on the, uh, on the Road to Emmaus. It must have been the most amazing thing. Jesus himself is saying, let me show you where I am in the Old Testament. And I think that is the way that we should read it. When we see a hero, we should say, that's probably a picture of Jesus. It's probably Jesus breaking open the way and I follow in his stead. Am I making sense? Come, we, yes, we, we need some humility in our lives, all of us. So... 
let's get to uh, Nehemiah. So when we read the book of Nehemiah, I'm going to get to some art now. I'm going to actually have Ryan coming up to share, and we're going to pray for him in a moment because I think it'll fit in well with what I think God is saying to us. But when we get to Nehemiah, I think it should be read as a prophetic book. I think Nehemiah should be a picture of Jesus that says, I am going to build my kingdom. The Bible says this. I will build my kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus Christ came out of the most comfortable place, heaven, out of the king's house. He had favor with the king. And he said, because of a love for God's people, because of a love for these people who do not know him and a love for the kingdom of God and because I want to build the kingdom of God, I will make myself low, put myself in discomfort. I will come to these people. And Jesus humbled himself and he died on a cross. And because he died on a cross, when we come into a relationship with him, what is important to him is to be important to us. And so we are to be like those people in Jerusalem where Jesus calls us and says, because I think that's what I think God is trying to say to us, I have not called you to live in Babylon. I have not called you to live in the world. That is not your home. Yes, you need to set up shop there. Yes, you need to be in this world, but you are not of this world. Yes, you need to have a job. Yes, some of you need to get married. Yes, some of you will have children. Yes, you need to make money. Yes, you need to retire. Yes, 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 I know. But that is not your home. I believe Jesus is coming to us as a congregation and I think he wants to draw a line in the sand today and say to us, the world is not your home. Yes, you are stationed there for a season. Yes, I want to teach you and I want to make you wholeheartedly devoted there, but it is not your home. I am calling you to build my kingdom with me. That is where God is calling us to. He's calling us out of Babylon. He's calling us into his kingdom, into the heavenly Jerusalem. To saying, I want you to build with me. And I'm going to read you a scripture just now, but it's a, a funny story just in preparing that I, that I listened to. It's so funny. I thought, you know, Jews... You know, Jews are extremely good businessmen. I don't know if you've ever gotten to, to, to see how good Jews are at doing business. So um, it's a story of, of a Jew that went to a place and he, he found a little, little shop that he could, um, that he could set up for himself to, uh, to try and make a living. He was in a new space. And it was between these two massive shops, right? Everyone in the town would go to these two shops to do their groceries and buy everything. And this Jew thought, what shall I call my shop? I'm not sure. How am I going to draw people there? And what he did is he called his shop Entrance. <laughs> Between these two shops. <laughs> called it Entrance. <laughs> because Jews are good. They're really good at making, at, at making the world their home, in a sense, at, at building business. And so were these Jews. I want you to just stand still for me a, a moment when we get to the story. Just imagine for, the, for a while, God has sent you, sent them into the world. He sent them into Babylon. But there's a scripture, I'm not going to read it. When God sends them there, same as like us in the world, you know that you unfortunately have to live in the world, even if you're a Christian. <laughs> you can't escape it. It's not like you can be like, okay, cool, God, now I'm a Christian. Now I only hang out with the Christians. That's not going to work. Somehow you need to make money. Like, somehow you need to buy a house or rent a house. Like, somehow we are called to still live in the world. Same way God had these people in the world. And when they were in the world, when they were in Babylon, it's so interesting. God says to them, while you are in the world, while you are in Babylon, this is not your home. While you are there, be there to the best of your ability. Be there. Buy houses. Set up for yourself houses. 
vestig jezelf in die gemeenschap. Make sure that you become part of the community. Give yourself there, all the while knowing that he was never going to keep them there. He was always going to send them back to the house of God, knowing that that is their ultimate home. And so you must just for a moment imagine this. God, now Nehemiah comes to these people and he says to them, the house of God, if you go read this book, lay in ruins. The kingdom of God needs work. Jerusalem is in tatters. And God is calling us back there. Now that's so easy to say, yes, Lord, I will be like one of those. I will lay down my life for the kingdom. I will do anything that you ask of me. And that is the heart that we should have. But I'm telling you, very few of them, if we read the the history, actually went. Because they had businesses. They had families. They had friends. They knew the area. And God is saying, I'm calling you to a life of discomfort. I'm calling you to leave everything so that you can follow me. Ryan, if you can come stand here. Where's that other mic? I'm going to get you to share now. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you now. So I'm going to give Ryan an opportunity to share now, not because, not because he's made it in life, but I, because I think what he's doing at the moment and what he's about to do, I think is something that is really so of God and it is the type of life that God is calling us to. Now God is not going to call you to do the same thing that he's calling Ryan to. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. And he's going to explain now what he's, we're going to pray for him actually as a church in the next area that God is sending him to. But I think this is such a good example to practically illustrate what I believe God is saying to us. Yes, this life is comfortable. Yes, I've called you to make a life here, but actually will you as my people Will you see the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? See the fact that he laid down his life for us? See the faith sake that he gave everything for us? Will you love him so much to say, God, if you gave everything, Lord, what is my life? What is my life? I will give everything for you for your sake, no matter what the cost. I'm going to share more after he's said this, but I just want him to quickly share what is he doing? What is the next step for him? So I'll start with... I'm going to Poch. <laughs> Poch Australia. Oh, so, um, I was actually at the conference, and just the background of why I felt there to go to Poch, um, is the whole year I just asked, Lord, where do you want me? You know, do you want me to go into business? Do you want me to ministry? Where do you want me? Because ultimately our lives, we need to make decisions not on our decisions or what we need. We actually need to seek the Lord in everything. He actually desires us to have relationship with Him. Ask him, Lord, what do you want to do with me? What, and actually live your life in surrender and in submission to the Lord. And um, I was at the conference and I said, Lord, I'm not leaving this conference until you've changed my heart. You changed my heart last year. I'm not leaving until you've changed my heart again. And he changed my heart. And um, so anyways, I, I've really felt the Lord just, just actually sent me to a part. He said, go and look had some other people share with me and I chatted to the guys at Potch and they were like, we've been asking for someone um, to actually be stirred to come. Um, and that was all on that weekend, so that was really cool. And just confirmation. But in that, saying, okay, this is what I'm feeling. Um, and I went to Leonard and I, in submission, I said, Leonard, where do you want me to go? Do you want me to stay here or go there? And I think it's, we need to do things out of submission. And, um, and then actually, yeah, they, the elders as a team said, okay. I'm going to go. And actually then I've got their backing as well, which is really cool. So I've got their backing and 
I'm going to be going alongside um, Benjamin Carly, and uh, yeah, so we hopefully going to start a church there, so that's very exciting. Um, so, yeah, and I think what's, what's really cool is our church was once just a Sunday for me, and I came to Steli's, I was invited to church, and church was still a Sunday, got to know everyone, a few people, and stuff like that. But through the last three years, it's, been, it's become, <laughs> become family. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's become family. It's like, I love you guys. It's, a lot of you know me, I know a lot of you. I don't know everyone, we've grown quite a bit. Um, but just walking with you guys in accountability and shaping one another, I've grown hugely. And, um, yeah, my heart is to see, just as I've come into family here, is to see people in Potch come into family. And actually see the same DNA that we've got here at Steli's, and see the students there actually, you know, come in, the you know, same DNA that we've got. You know, loving Lord, the Lord fully sent, and just with all their heart. So, yeah, I actually just ask, pray for us. Pray for us that the Lord will add numbers, but more importantly that he will add disciples. So, you know, we don't, we're not about numbers, it's about people that are fully sent for the Lord. And um, I was going to say something now. Oh, yeah. And so it's been, it's been a wrestle, because we're all like, yeah, let's go, Lord, send me, send me. And then he sends you, it's like, whoa. And I think, yeah, just the last yeah, few months, I've just really been wrestling with the Lord. And, um, no, it's like you're leaving things behind. My family's here. Hello, mom and dad. <laughs> They're here. <laughs> and yeah, I've got family here. I've got friends here. The whole church is here. My life has been here. And yeah, it's sad to say goodbye. It's not going to be goodbye forever. It's just I'm not going to see you guys as much. And I've just got a few verses. Just to share this quickly. Um, but just with in life, we're not. We're not. We're going to do. We're going to have to do things that we're not always going to want to do. Um, and following the Lord is not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be um, all flowery and woo. Um, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be tough times. But actually, the Lord's faithful to bring us through it and um, yeah, actually provide for us. And something that's been really encouraging for me is because I'm living with a sore heart. Is in Luke 22:42, Jesus is just. Yeah, he's praying and he's asking the Father, Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So this is just before he's going to be on the cross, and, but he's saying, Lord, your will and not my will. And that's the way we need to live our lives, is saying, Lord, I don't, we don't, we're not going to always want to do things. Let's say, Lord, he's saying, Lord, please take this if you can. But Lord, not my will, your will. But in saying that, I leave with a very sore heart, but I've got lots and lots of faith to go there, to be there. Um, I trust the Lord's going to provide and um, I'm excited to see what He does there. Um, so I've got lots of faith, but it's, uh, yeah, scary, <laughs> but very just, cool. <laughs> just stand here for a moment. So, my on. So just because I know this guy and I've seen, I've seen the work that God has done in him. When he, when he first came to church, Yes, he, he had a relationship with God. I do believe that was there. And 
and he wanted to serve God, but he was a little bit flaky. <laughs> he wasn't, there wasn't the passion in him that there is now. And you know what? Yes, this is growth in God, but, um, but actually I believe this is what God is calling every disciple of his to be. To say, Lord, whatever you ask of me, this world is not my home. Your kingdom is the most important. This is not for the mature Christians. This is for every single Christian. God wants us to have the same heart of saying, Lord, anything for your kingdom. And once you see Jesus, once you see salvation, once he's done that work in your heart, once you've seen him, nothing else is really costly. Because you know the beauty and the, the pleasure of being in God's, in God's sight and being in his presence. And you just want to stay in that place. Be like, God, whatever, I just want to serve you. But that heart needs to really get into us. And he, I mean, he's not saying all of the things, why it's a sacrifice for him, but he just, he just qualified with his degree. I think he would have been able to make a lot of money. <laughs> if he stayed here, there was opportunity for him to go into, into the workplace to make a lot of money. Um, he's got a girlfriend that he's leaving behind. That's also going to be quite difficult. She's here. He's one of a triplet. How, how long? What's the longest you and, you and Dave have been two apart? Weeks. Two weeks is the longest. Him and his uh, one triplet brother have been apart. Uh, Dave, that's sitting here. Two weeks has been the longest. Now look at this man, and I want you to see that this is a sacrifice for the Lord. This is not just, yes, I'm going to have the adventure of my life. He's never been to Pochevstrom. Pochevstrom is not an adventure if you come from Stellenbosch. <laughs> I'm He's English. <laughs> He's English. <laughs> He's English. But the heart says, God, you are building your kingdom. How can I be a part of it? God, you are building your kingdom. What is my life? What is this world to me? It is counted as nothing for the sake of serving you and serving your kingdom. That is the heart that God calls every Christian to be. I wanted to read you the verse of the rich young ruler. It's a man that comes to Jesus. We're not going to read it. He comes to Jesus and he says this, Lord, what do I have to do to be your disciple? Not, Lord, what do I have to do to be a church planter, to be a mature Christian, to be a community leader, an elder, a deacon? He says, what do I have to do to be your disciple? And Jesus comes to him, and he doesn't say the same thing to all of us, but it's the heart that Jesus is touching. He says, go, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And it says, the man went away sad. And Jesus was saddened by this affair too. Now, in actual fact, when we come into the church, mostly what do we say? Lord, what do I have to, be to, to do to be a disciple? Well, you need to have someone, you have to put up your hand when they do an altar call. Someone's going to come and pray for you. You need to believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth, and then you will go to heaven. Yeah, partially. But what the Bible says is, no, Jesus said this. That was not the answer of Jesus. Jesus didn't say, just have faith. He said, no, if you want to be my disciple, count everything else as dung to follow me. Lay down anything in this world that you deem is important in order to follow me. If anything is more important than Jesus, I'm telling you, God is going to come at that thing with everything in him because he wants you to be wholeheartedly devoted to him. I'm married. Carla is not supposed to be more important than Jesus in my life. Now, I can't just leave her. I'm, I'm tied in Scripture, like I, and I love her, and God has put us together. So I, I'm not going to leave her ever in the flesh, but in my heart, I need to say, Lord, whatever, for your sake, you are above my relationship with her. And God has called us together. Yes, He won't separate. He's put it together. He won't separate. But is my heart there where I say, God, you are more important? So, sorry, Ryan, you can sit. We're going to pray for you now. <laughs> I remember, I'm going I'm to almost end. I remember... 
Carla and I were engaged. I've told this story before. And God came, and you'll see, we set up idols for ourselves. We make things more important than God. We make Babylon. We make this world our own. And I remember Carla was really struggling with the fact that I was called into full-time ministry. And I knew that was the calling of God. Jerusalem is more important than Babylon for me. I will lay down my life. I will leave Babylon, Jerusalem. God has called me to build this church, to build this kingdom. And I went to Carla, the lady that I love so much. I wanted to marry her. We were engaged to get married. And I said, Carla, if we can't be on the same page with this thing, I can't marry you. And there were tears, but in actual fact, it was a work of God that He did in my heart where I came to a place of saying, God, you are the most important. Your kingdom, Jerusalem and not Babylon, everything I want to give to you. My children, I love them so much. If you try and touch them, I will kill you. (laughs) I will kill you. I love them more than anything in this world. I'm telling you, I love them. I love them. They cannot be above Jesus in my life. They cannot stop me from building the kingdom in this world. They are subservient to the kingdom of God. They're not as important. I love Stellenbosch. I love the scenery. I love the life here. I love the coffee shops. I love the coffee. (laughs) I love it. But it's not more important than the kingdom of God. I'm telling you now, if God sends me anywhere... I'm telling you, is it going to be nice? No, I will go. I'm telling you now, I will go. I don't care. I don't care. I love you guys. Like, I love you. This is, leading this church the last three and a half years has been the greatest pleasure of my life. It's been amazing. I've seen God doing so many things. I've seen so many people coming to salvation, coming to repentance, being baptized. It has been the most beautiful thing. But every time I sit in a meeting and they say that there's help needed with one of the churches, my wife gets a heart attack. I can't help it. I always put up my hand. <laughs> I'll always, Lord, I'll go. Lord, I will do it. I'll do it. We fight sin in our lives. We do all of these things. Why? Because I love God mostly above every other thing. And I will give my life to Him. I will lay down my life for the King and for His kingdom. That's where God calls you as a disciple to. And I'm going to call you today. I'm going to call you to look yourself in the mirror to look your life in the mirror, to say, is that me? And you know what? We've got easy Christianity nowadays. Easy believerism is what they call it. It's easy. You just pray a prayer and that is what Jesus wants. No, Jesus is drawing a line in the sand today, I believe, for this church, saying, if you are not wholeheartedly devoted to me, if there's anything in this life that is more important than me and my kingdom, then I'm calling you to repent, to lay it down at my feet and to say, Lord, help me to put you in your right place. I will leave Babylon and I will go to Jerusalem. Really feel that that is where God is calling us to. And so I want to make a moment like that. I want to ask you, if you've been convicted today, this is not Christianity 2.0, this is Christianity 101. I will die to myself so that Jesus can get the glory. My studies, I will die to it so that Jesus can get the glory. Him and His kingdom. My job, I will do it to the best of my ability, but it is not more important than him and his kingdom and dare I say his church his church global played out in the local church and then we say but Leonard you need to balance you need balance no I don't need balance (laughs) I don't need balance God his church his church is what he is building I will give my life to it if the leaders of this church need me anywhere I don't this is not you this is me I will go 
I will go because I believe that we are building his kingdom. Can I ask us to stand? Maybe worship team, I don't know if you can...